There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the CollectingCast.com podcast with Chris Harris and Edward Lovett. Hello and welcome to another Collecting Cars podcast. Now, I've been waiting to do this one for quite some time because I'm sitting uh, in southern Germany uh, with uh, someone who I think has made some of the best cars I've ever driven. In fact, his cars probably define my career in cars more than anyone else. He's called Andreas Preuninger um, and I don't know what his job title is now. He'll say it in a second. But when I first met him, he handed me a business card and it said manager-high-performance-cars Porsche. I can't think of a better job title in the world. Is that still your job title? And welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Hi, Chris. Uh, happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, I remember that situation quite well. Um, it, it said only manager and I was, uh, was not too much okay with that. In the meantime, the business is a little bit uh, different. And it's still high-performance cars, but uh, we went uh, through some structural changes, organizational changes in, in Porsche Motorsport. And so the job titles, uh, despite of me doing mostly the same as I ever did before in the last 20 years, has changed to uh, director um, GT cars. So um, this is uh, maybe it doesn't sound as sexy um, as manager high-performance cars, um, but it's the same at the end of the day. So you are manager GT cars. Well, <laughs> I like that. On oh, no, a direct director, GT director, cars. it's called director. Okay. So, so um, everyone knows you as the face of the best driving Porsches, uh, probably in the history of the company. But I want to understand how you got there, and I and I I also know that how you emerged and what was going on in the company at the time is, is really interesting because no one really knew what the potential of the GT line was back then, did they? But so what? So where, where did your background come from? How do you end up? being the person that can define exactly what a GT3 can be. So wh when you, where did you go to school? When did you leave school? Let's go back there. Well, it, it was a long way, definitely. And it, uh, it was not a, not, a, not, a, not a road that led in the exact direction uh, that I'm going right now. So it was back and forth. I was a young man. I was studying 
I went to school. I I always was was a little bit uncertain of what to do when I'm when I'm when I when I leave university. And uh, my father was working for a big supplier company um, that made wind tunnels and the scales underneath the wind tunnel. And and one fine day, um, when I was doing my my university studies, um, he asked me if uh, I would would like to come along to see to visit Weisach Weisach Development Center. And uh, from Porsche, I, I was all over it. I said, oh, yeah, sure, I'm coming, I'm coming. And that was the first time I stepped uh, into Weissach and, and saw this huge um, brain facility with all this 9-11 standing around. I, I was a freak for 9-11 since I was a small kid. So what year was, do you think this was? Uh, this was, it must be 1900, huh? 80. 80, you know, maybe in the 90s, early, early 90s, early, early 90s, I would say, maybe late 80s, something yeah. like that. And um, I, I started studying at 85, so it must be late 80s. So I think I would make it an 88. But you, critically, 87. you always liked the 9-11, even then. I, I, I liked the 9-11 since I was a young kid. Um, and um, I had this poster, I'm, I'm, I'm stating this in so many interviews, of this uh, white and uh, blue Carrera RS over my bed. And, and I was cherishing it, looking at it, and marveling at it every night. Um, I even had my, 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 my lamps, my lights in, the, in, the, in, the, in, my, in my room arranged so that there was a full... Uh, beam on, on on that car and this poster was was out of a magazine and it had this this pages it this it, it, it was not a high gloss super expensive poster it was something i took out of a magazine as a three or four folded and uh, pinned it to the wall and um yeah but still it's it's very vivid in my mind i love the 911 i always turned around on them i loved the sound there was a neighbor that had one and um, that took me for a ride. I could ride shotgun one day when I was maybe 12 or something like that. And it was an everlasting impression. Absolutely. So, How many of us have had that moment where we were taken in a All of us. <laughs> and this is why if, some, if you see a little kid that wants a ride in, a, in your car, take them because it will yeah. change their view of cars. And you know what? I mean, what is, what is so, so entertaining and so, I mean, uh, astonishing, even today when I'm parking 911 in my garage and uh, there's some people coming by with a little kid it's so often that the little kid, like three or four years old, stands, looks at the car, and says, Mommy or Daddy, a Porsche. Uh, and, and isn't it incredible? A three or four year old kid. I mean, we're living in Weissach here, but I experienced that exactly the same when I'm visiting friends in Munich or in Cologne or wherever. I mean, little kids can somehow distinguish a 911 as something very special and very Porsche. And this is, it was the same when I was young and, it, and it's still around. So it, it, isn't, that, isn't it amazing? So you go to Weissach as a young guy, your father's making the wind tunnels and you, you see the place. You don't start working there straight away. No. You go off and, what do you go off and do? I mean, I, I was, I was, I was think, I was driven in the right direction then. From that day when I was uh, visiting the Weissach premises and had a tour through the workshops, the wind tunnel, and uh, saw so many cars, even camouflaged ones. I remember um, leaning under one and uh, detecting an all-wheel drive system, which I never, which, which, which wasn't there because it was a 964 uh, Carrera 4 um, test mule uh, based on a G model. And, um, and, I, and I asked the guy that uh, was with my father, hey, what's this? Is this an all-wheel drive? And he kept pulling my arm and go away there. Yeah. <laughs> and so and I, I, I was kind of, you he, do that he, to, was, he was smiling. You he, do he that was, to me now. He, right? he, was, he was not rude, but that was something that uh, still clings to my mind. And, 
and and when we left Weissach and they got me the calendar and uh, and, and, and 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 a Porsche model, I knew exactly where I wanted to work from that day on, and 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 all my focusing on career was really centered. I want to go to Weissach, so I finished my university studies and um, kept. Uh, bombarding i would say uh weissach with um with uh, my cvs but back then in the days it was the 964 era beginning of the 90s it was very very hard to get a job because they they were they had to let people go so they couldn't hire new people and and, and also having sent in at least 10 different cvs uh, they, they wouldn't take me so i had to make a detour um in the supplier industry but um i kept uh Trying and trying, and this is my advice for everybody that has a dream: keep trying. Don't don't give up. Yeah. Keep trying to to reach your goal. It might take some time, but at the end of the day, if you're, yeah, if if you want it hard enough, you'll you'll, you'll get it. And, and and in that case as well, you need some luck a little bit because I um, I got to know, I got to know a Hartmut Christen one day, and um, he was uh, running a Porsche. Um, sales motorsport back then so the motorsport was divided in two in two groups it was the racing um, the racing stuff and it was the selling the car stuff you know the kind of send the cars department that what that he ran and the first gt3 was uh, was in the planning um, at that time and we got quite friends with each other we, we talked to each other it was at a, at a at a at a birthday party of some mutual acquaintance so we didn't know each other and over a beer um yeah, found each found found uh, found found a good conversation, and um, so um, he said, "Okay, give me your CV again," yeah? and um, that's how it all developed. What, and, uh, what year was that? Um, that was actually when I um, when I uh, started at Porsche. It was the first January of nineteen hundred ninety-seven, and um, for the first two years, two and a half years, just to have the foot in the door. Um, I worked for engineering services because back then Weissach, as, as a huge R&D center, had more capacity, more brain capacity, more developing capacity um, than it needed for the for for its old models because it was only the 911. Uh, there was no Boxster back then, and so they sold their engineering about 30% of the capacity clandestinely, I would say, uh, to Mercedes, to Opel, even to Harley Davidson. We did the V-Rod yeah. engine, and um, I was in that department. That was my first. Porsche job uh, to sell these projects and to um, be the yeah, manager of these projects that we had with, with clients that didn't want to be named. And it, and it, it was quite an interesting time because uh, I got to know every department in Weissach because I needed all of those people. So that gave me a super cool network. And um, and that's how I got to know Hartmut Christen as well, whom I met later on at the uh, um, at, the, at the at the party I was talking about, uh, but I was still work, uh, already working at Porsche. But that was my way into GT3, into motorsport, um, because he offered me the the job to to run the management of the GT3, which was uh, the first 996 Mark One back then, and um, that was that was something I, I, I always dreamed about. And and uh, yeah. so the first so the first 996 GT3 had that already been started when you when yeah, you were right. working yeah i was working as a as an instructor as a side job just for the weekends i wasn't married back then and um i was i was there was so much racing in my head and driving and uh, um before i came to porsche i was working for uh, for the media for a newspaper and uh, for a magazine automotor sport which is uh, happens to be the biggest so one you work for AMS? in europe yeah for ams yeah as a, as a as a freelancer um, parallel in parallel to my studies, but um, I was working full time there because it was so much fun. 
And I learned so much. All of the driving I learned, uh, the best part was there because we were in Hockenheim every second day. We did these photo runs and I liked the people. I'm still in contact with many of those. And uh, it was great, uh, really a great time. And um, yeah, that was the first, um, yeah, the first the first uh, experience on, 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 on racetrack and on, on, on fast driving. And then I was an instructor at a sport driving school at Porsche. And that was the situation because, um, yeah, I was um, quite good, I think. So they liked me. I could teach good. I had the language and um, I, could, I had the driving skills. And they gave me the GT3. The first 996 GT3 was a pre-series car. It was in this in this in this sausage metallic, I would say, as a yeah, race. that weird Look, color looked weird, looked ugly. But I loved that car to bits. But I was driving it such a for such a long period of time, and I always kept coming up with things that I didn't like so much. And I, and I said, oh, I want to do this better and that better, and I don't like that. I don't like this. So I had ideas before starting to work on a second gen what should be done to that car. That was quite funny. And then I met Hartford Piston and then I did the second gen of the of the 996, the Mark II. So was the second gen the, your first The second project? gen 996 was my first project. I came to Motorsport as the project manager of the GT3 in, I think it was in October 2000. Um, and that was when the second batch of the 996 Mark I was built. That was one of my, my first company car I would so say was the second batch of the 996 gen 1 a bit different to the first batch uh it was uh it was uh an answer <laughs> to the need of the market because uh like so often in the in the history of these cars um not everybody in porsche was convinced that we could sell 996 gt3s and um so uh the planning the of, of uh the number planning of the car was quite conservative and we really, or they, I have to say, because it was not me, they really, Ron Kussmaul and Hartmut Christen, made it um, to have a good homologation basis for the racetrack. So they didn't care too much about making a business case selling a car, okay? But back in that day, the 996 as a 911 was, was had, had not the best reputation because it was, it was liquid cool. It was looking a little bit strange with this, uh, with this, uh, egg-shaped uh, headlights and um, it was it, it was not like uh, like the as characterful i would say as the 993 was and people missed that and and as soon as the gt3 hit the market uh, i remember this headline in this big german magazine the 911 is back yeah, yeah. it fixed people the problem, said it? okay it fixed all the problems on the 996 and through the gt3 the even the 996s gained um, um yeah gained gained in a reputation because it was the smaller brother of the gt3 which was which was a, such a great car obviously. so, so the gen we had to make a second batch of another four five hundred cars really to um, and that was the second batch i was referring to but it was technically the same as the as the first one so the 996 gt3 has always been a bit of a bit of a thorny subject for me and i've always asked you this question but i've never asked it uh to record i remember collecting the first press car taking it back to the uk it was a red one it was the first time i'd been to porsche first time i'd been to Werk Ein, and i just was you know I always knew that I loved Porsche, but it cemented the love for me. But I read all the stories about this GT3 beforehand, and I read the reports, and I thought the car was great. But I didn't, it didn't feel as fast as I thought it was going to feel in a straight line. It didn't feel like it maybe had all the power I thought it did. And the first time we took it to a track, it ran out of brakes very quickly. So I was a bit sort of okay. It is what's going on here? And I remember asking you once because the 996 GT3 Gen One is considered by many people to be the purest GT3. It's the originator. And I never bought into that because I just think it was a really great place to start. But it, as a starting point, it confirmed 
how much more was possible. And you agreed with me. You were the first. Luckily, you're the bloke that does the cars. You agreed with me. Still do. Yeah. But it, it's, it's a special vehicle for what it stands for. But the, what the second generation 996 GT3 is a, such a superior car in every way, in terms of the way, it, the way it drives, the performance. The engine feels like it has 50 horsepower more. Which is about correct. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't believe all the numbers written on paper. Yeah, yeah. you're absolutely right. I mean, um, I stated it before, and, and I don't want to bash uh, the, the, the 996 Mark I GT3 because I didn't do it. That's, that's not fair. I love the car, but it was... A part spin exercise, really, yeah. yeah, and and it was meant to be a part spin exercise. I mean, it was the it, it was the the Aero kit that was available for the 996. It was exclusive wheels that were available for all the other cars, uh, 911 as well. Um, it was uh, the brakes of the had had the brakes of the turbo, and it had a presume it was just a turbo engine with and the it turbos was a removed. Turbo engine saw <laughs> without the turbochargers and uh, made to rev super high for for, for, for that time it was seven thousand six or eight hundred, which is high, uh, which is uh, ridiculous in, in, in today's terms. But it was high back then, yeah. twenty years ago. But um, it it was a homologation special, so the the the, the car lived uh, from taking stuff out. It was old school hot rodding, make it light and it's quick. Um, take out the rear seats and uh, we made this Recaro seats there's this bucket seat they're so ugly but they're still benchmarked when it comes to driving position and everything and we kept exactly uh, that 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 envelope uh, that, uh, that 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 weight engulfs the driver till today because it's absolutely uh, perfect uh, I, I didn't le like the ear shape uh, of the of the of the of the of the of the upper part so we got rid of that but that was a bespoke GT3 development, um, the, tur the de-turbo charging of the turbo and make it make it more high revving and um, some steel synchron rings for the gearbox that from Getruck that we already had and a little bit of suspension work that Roland Kusman, uh, Kusmaul did uh, when uh, when he was off duty, you know, to, be, to be honest. And, so you and start, that was the car. So you start working on the second generation of the 996. Correct. And you just mentioned an important name there, Kusmaul. So... How is it that you you end up with your dream job? How does that feel, first of all? That was that was uh, back then. I was I, I would pinch myself several times a day, and um, came came down to motorsport and 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 Hartmut Christen handed me the key for of a, of a second batch silver uh, GT3 to drive with, and and that was and, and it was brand new. It was I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. It was so good. At my office, I had two or three people working with me, and. Um, yeah, and, and I had all the freedom, all the freedom uh, to to yeah to invent, yeah, to be creative, um, to make the GT3, bring the GT3 to the next level, and um, that was not a pressure. That was that was a joy because I knew already um, because I've driven the car so much on track and and, and uh, in, in 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 the sport driving school what to do. But funnily, the first thing I did, <laughs> you will you will laugh maybe, is um, is um, uh, addressing the 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 hubs the hub caps the hub caps of the wheel because I always hate it on the first gen uh, GT3 that, that there was no GT3 sign on those uh, the, and and I said what no, why this is something everybody gets when he has a Carrera so I wanted that to be special and then so that was the first thing I can remember exactly it was a tooling cost of six thousand euros and and. and for me, as a total beginner, I called Hartmut Christen as a Hartmut um, or Mr. Christen back then. Um, I have this idea with this. Uh, it, it might sound strange to you, but it was always nagging me. Um, we need 
bespoke wheel hub, wheel hub caps. And he said, okay, what's the process? Do it. Yeah. And, and, and I felt like, what? So just so I can do it, can order this and then get it going. And that was the first day, you know. And um, then came more and more and more. I've been to the design studio, said, we need bespoke wheels. I want a different suspension. We, we, need, we need the engine to be a lot more, let's say, Torquey and, uh, and 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 maybe maybe if we find we find some RPMs and um, I addressed the whole car so we we we're going from the aerodynamics to brakes and everything was bespoke after that so it was a much bigger project the second gen as so the, the first. first gen was more of a skunk works homologation exercise exactly who who at Porsche decided to make the GT3 a model because then it needed funding properly who made that decision was that made at board level it must have been wasn't it it's always board level when you make a new car so um, the, the suggestion comes from the team mostly or from 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 marketing or sales as well not so much in our case um, was 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 never that way, but um, we needed for for racing. Uh, we needed a, a car that was more capable, and we needed something on the basis of the 996. And uh, we couldn't use the 996 Carrera basis um, in a way that we really thought it would be competitive. And Roland Kusmaul back then, responsible for street cars and for um, for the race cars, um, said, "Okay, we 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 need a homologation special." of a 996 and we make a street version of it because we had to sell it a couple hundred times uh, to make it a legal homologation car. Yeah. And and that was the task. And um, it was uh, mainly coming from Roland Kussmaul and Hartmut Christen. These two um, yeah, made a decision uh, to approach the board with a this, with this suggestion uh, to make a car like that to be able to compete in racing. Right, we're going to take a quick break there. So go and have a go and have a biscuit. It's an early break, and I'm telling you this because um, we're going to have lunch. Uh, where someone's just wait, we're having lunch. Um, this is a relaxed way of recording. So go and have a, a comfort break. Go and have a chocolate bourbon and a cup of tea. We'll be back in a minute. If you have a rare sporting or iconic vehicle to sell, then contact the Collecting Cars consignment team today and sell with the market leader. And if you're a watch enthusiast then don't forget to check out the auctions on watchcollecting.com. And we're back. We're sitting down. Okay. Uh, welcome back to this uh, Collecting Cars podcast with Andreas Preuninger. We've had uh, a very nice pasta lunch with a bit of chilli in it. I like a bit of heat. We all agree. You like a bit of chilli in your food? I love a lot of chilli. Exactly. Um, and we were just discussing uh, 996 Gen 1 against 996 Gen 2. I also want to ask you about this um, this Kusmal name because when you first started working there, were you aware of what a legend he was and what he'd done? Because his history with the 911 is... Is quite extraordinary, isn't it? And to have him working with you must have felt so secure because he was the surely the perfect person to say, "Is this right? Is this wrong?" Uh, sure. Uh, for me, Roland Kusmal was a legend uh, before I started working at Porsche. I mean, um, his uh, his run in the in the Pirelli Parista car, uh, being uh, being being piloting the service truck and uh, entering, I think, in, in a very high up position. I think he, what we won the class of the trucks uh, just by <laughs> companioning uh, the, the the 959 back then. Um, he he was a legend in the in the company. It was always when I was working for the first uh, first three years in the normal development, not in motorsport. Uh, Ron Kusmaul, you, you you saw him sometimes sitting in a car coming by. He always looked friendly, and and I was always like bowing my head a little bit because I had heard so much things about him, um, and I, I was really very interested in getting to know him. But um, there was 
not so much business for me down there at the at the, at the racing department. Uh, that came later when I when I joined Hartmut Christen and uh, Roland was one of the first guys I met. And um, after a couple of hours with him, he he offered me to address him on the first name, and and it was something uh, it was really a praise for me, and I felt so honored and flattered. And um, and I think he liked me because uh, we did a lot of talking, and I really can say most of the stuff I learned about cars, about setting up a car, about the car as a whole, as a system, as a as a, as a system that is that is that is uh, has to work in synchronicity of all the parts moving and 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 how a car gets the right feeling. That's all I learned from him. Because um, we had this routine when I, when I, in my starting from the first days when I, when I started on, uh, on motorsport, um, that I, I went into his office, which actually is my office today. So it's the same room, which is, which is great. Um, <clears throat> so it's a, it's a holy walls. And uh, it was seven o'clock and, and we were just sitting there planning the day or just discussing about the car we had with us uh, overnight and discussing what it did and what it needed and how we're going to achieve this now we're going to achieve that and how we're going to achieve it the most effective way and 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 and, and this is what i what i what i what i was was definitely what what was a he's one of his greatest um virtues i would say or what if no, his best experience of how to do things correctly at the first at the first trial because what's what's critical here is that clearly he Kusmar had this way of doing things was that a lot of the work was driving home wasn't it he would he would yeah, he would I do mean, all the setup and everything else would just be the drive home which is so logical because that's the road you know the best exactly. that's when your head is clear right. why go to Papenburg and hire a test track it's all foreign just do it on your drive home yeah he, we, we did that as well going to Papenburg doing this high this high uh, velocity or this high speed lane changes you need some safety zones around you, you can't do it on the street yeah but um, he always said the car has to really, really perform out there, uh, right next to our main gate. So on my way home, uh, on these beautiful tracks, uh, the streets here in the northern, at the northern rim of the Black Forest. And there's yeah. lots of good streets. So you know these streets, I showed you some of them. And um, yeah, that's where we set up the car because he was a firm believer. And I still think that's the right way to look at it that a car should work on any given normal street as well. So you can't make it too tautly sprung. You can you 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 need the traction. You need the behavior on on, on a wet surface that is that is user friendly, and he all took that into the equation of making a fast car. And he sacrificed some of the lap time stuff for that yeah? for this daily so for this sporty daily usability. So quite often in those situations, when you have someone who has his experience, mm -hmm. this incredible experience, and and someone young comes in to work or to run a project. There can be a bit of resentment. It's quite having met Roland. He doesn't strike me as that guy. He he would have just wanted to help you and and teach you. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, with Roland, he, he you needed to earn his respect. Um, so there were people that he didn't think too highly of, and uh, they never got a car. Yeah, <laughs> it's like that. I mean, uh, he said, no. Why, why why does he have to drive the car? There's, there's no benefit for the for the for the company for that because he can't drive anyway, and he can't judge the car, and he so it's it's no of no use for me. It's just dangerous to lose the car. It gets scratched. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm the same, uh, absolutely honest. And, and Roland um, was a very, very nice guy, and he, he I always had the feeling he wanted to, um, yeah, to teach me the stuff he knew. And, and I was not the only one. He had other, he had other guys around as well. 
but we had a, a very special relationship from day one and we always laughed a lot uh, because Roland Kuzma is like a little kid. And uh, like me, we always uh, were stealing stuff from each other. Uh, uh, I, I, I took three mechanics and we, and, and, we, and we, we, we manhandled his motorcycle <laughs> to a completely different spot. And, 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 and we, one, one time we built in a heated seat in the, in the bucket. Uh, in, of his car and hot wired it to the to the to the <laughs> to the ignition and and, and I can tell you and on and, and it was an aftermarket mat that we that we like uh, put underneath the, the the cushions and it was it got so hot you could not sit in that thing. <laughs> And 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 and, and uh, this did this went back and forth all the time all the time when Roland and me was around there was there was always something going on. And um, it's still that way when he's visiting Weissach. Uh, last time he came with his 964 RS, um, we sneaked out and uh, took uh, took the, 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 the seat out or the seat cushions out and packed in like five or six thick um, Polish newspapers, um, all the <laughs> magazines. I couldn't read them anyway, so I don't need those. And put them underneath the seat and put the cushion bag on. And um, you, you didn't notice it. And normally... I mean, a hay change in the seat is so drastically noticeable. I mean, when, when you when you yeah, when you drive a car with your with your bum, yeah? and um, I was expecting him to know to, to immediately notice. And I, I watched him get into the car. He was sliding around a bit, but then he drove off. <laughs> and, I, and I thought, oh my goodness, he's getting old. <laughs> no, he's a legend. So you've gone. I think one of the big shifts for the GT3. Um, product was you you the 996 gt3 gen 2 comes out and it's clear this this brand there's almost a separate brand within porsche you have 911 and then G people are using the phrase gt3 as a separate thing to a 911 this was quite important this is it's a brand of its own 0304 yeah. but at that point you wouldn't have known that it was growing wasn't it not quite because if you if you think if you look at it closely the gt3 um, was was just an internal code name for the first 996 Mark One project because it was uh, the homologation car for the GT3 race class back yeah. then, and um, they were so they were searching for a name but couldn't come up with something uh, very clever, um, which is uh, which was often the case in our uh, <laughs> nomination of cars. To be honest, <laughs> when I first heard Carrera GT, I said, "Oh my God, what a, what a stupid name!" When I first heard Macan, I said, "No way." But um, at the end of the day, after, after a couple of years, they work. So I was wrong. But no, and, and, and they just said, oh, why not name it just GT3? Well, and um, now if you ask somebody out on the street, uh, what's GT3? Everybody will say it's a Porsche model and it's not a race class. Uh, yeah. So um, we turned the thing around and created an, an, an own brand, uh, this GT3 or GTX, as we call it, brand, because it's GT2 as well. And the RS models, they, they became a very powerful brand in the, in the industry at the moment. So, you, so you've got this, the GT3 996 Gen 2 is fixed. It has a more powerful engine. It has brakes that work. It's got the steel synchro rings. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's working. And, and then you, I remember you telling me, you hark back to this picture of the Harmler guy, 73 RS, oh. and you think, we need to make an RS. That was another, uh, another homologation necessity, I would say, because uh, the race car, the RS, it was back then named, or um, uh, the designation was the, the, the GT3 RS, was the race car. Um, only when we stole the RS moniker, it gotten, it's gotten the RSR. That was my <laughs> suggestion, just put another R in it, yeah? <laughs> then, then I can have the RS. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we, we, we noticed that uh, there were some parts in the suspension that uh, made made up were, were responsible for a big disadvantage on the track because uh, 
um, the tires wore that the, the stints you, you can drive for the tire were shorter than on the competition and that was uh, had something to do with the wheel carriers and the pivot points and everything so the the when 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 the when 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 the, when the car were when, when, the, when the wheel was moving in the wheel well the camber um the, the dynamic camber change was just too big uh, and so we have, we really needed an, a homologated part for the race car the, to to yeah, to Oh, so uh, this was to, a split, to, the split lower to, arm. To, was this? To, was yeah, it? To, no, not so the split lower arm to address this, uh, to address this flaw. And so we made a new wheel carrier yeah, with the, with the, with the point that was uh, the, 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 the split, the wishbone was mounted a little bit deeper then. So that means when the car, the, a lowered car was was standing, standing, uh, if you if you stand in front of the lowered car, the lower wishbone was exactly parallel to the to the surface. Yeah. And that means when it's uh, when it's um, Federn, what's in a Federn? It's ein Federn. Uh, when it's uh, compressed, when suspension, when, 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 when the suspension is compression, you have an even, even, uh, you have an even uh, tire, wear. Uh, tire wear, and you have an even, um, you, the, the dynamic camber change is uh, a lot more static, I would say. And that was very important for keeping the tires uh, over longer stints, and that worked. And so we needed to homologate these parts. And Roland Kusma said, okay, let's do 200 GT3 Mark IIs and just put that stuff in. Make them a homologation series, but they, they didn't plan on doing anything else to the car. Just introduce this some changes that we needed for the race car, and I said, "No, stop! We can't do that because this is. Um, why not do something out of that that is a lot better for the brand, yeah, for the core of the brand, for the customer, and which is a little bit supporting our own heritage and history." And um, then this uh, picture of this uh, this poster of above my bed came into my mind. I said, "Let's make a homage." Uh, to the Carrera RS 2.7 and um, do something else in the car, make ram air, address some minor stuff on the car to make it lighter, to make it better. Um, maybe even give it a little bit more power. Back then, we uh, we, uh, um, we didn't realize that it would, it would be a, a huge homologation um, uh, uh, process to do that so we on paper we didn't uh, in reality we did <laughs> later maybe, maybe we can talk about that later and so so the 996 rs project came along and um, i suggested this to hartmut christen now let me do a, a homologation special that is really noticeably different uh, from the gt3 and name it rs and he said no we can't name it rs that's a race car I said, okay let's rename the race car <laughs> and um yeah that was uh that was how that began and so you did did you just for the optics, because it to to re to relaunch the RS brand mm. that quietly, given how big that car was in the history of the company, was huge, and it seemed like it was done quite in quite a relaxed fashion. Did you just go, "This looks all right, let's just do that," or did it have to go right to the top and everyone wanted their Absolutely. input? Absolutely, you have to always go to the topic because you need funds for the development, you need funds for the tooling, uh, you need to get uh, the salespeople behind you, the markets that they have to sell the car. As a matter of fact, so you have first have to approach the markets and, and propose the car and say, hey, what do you think? Uh, can, could you what did they say? Um, well, it was a history repeating itself, I would say. it was. Uh, they were not so keen on the car because they said, oh, this car looks kind of pornographic. Yeah. <laughs> and um, because it was white with this uh, red, stri with, with this red um, um, uh, Carrera RS or GT3 RS in that case, uh, lettering, and it was uh, with carbon stuff and low and... Um, 
they, 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 they didn't get the idea so much, like 20 years before as well, uh, on the yeah. RS-27. And, and, and we said, no, I think this is definitely something we should do. And oh, and it has a clutch that uh, is, a, is a lightweight clutch and a lightweight flywheel, and how does it operate? Is it... They, they were un, un, unsure about it. They gave us a quota, yeah, how many they could sell. And we had to base this uh, business case upon that quota to make to make a, 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 a sane proposal to Mr. Wiedeking because Wiedeking didn't get out of bed um, without making money. So you couldn't approach him and say, okay, we can exchange some money here. Yeah, so give me, so may, may, maybe it'll... it'll, it'll <laughs> you give me the money, it'll, I'll give you the same back. back. So it had to make a profit. And um, that was kind of uh, difficult with only 195 cars. Uh, that was uh, the first uh, estimation of all the world. Was it 195 markets. cars? 195 cars. How many yeah. did you make in the end? Uh, it was around 700, and we ran out of tooling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was uh, that was the way. I mean, it's a learning curve. I don't want to bash the colleagues of uh, marketing and sales here. I mean, they just uh, were not used to cars like that. So yeah. it was the first time. And in a big company, to convince somebody about a first-time thing, um, GT4 was similar, yeah, or 911R. Um, you always need a little bit more talking uh, and, and, and explaining. Yeah. Um, not not today anymore. So now everybody got it. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's really a, a good. Did move, you think for a minute you'd you'd make you'd make nearly 800 of the of the GT3 RS? I was sure of that. Were you? I, I think we could have sold a lot more. The car was such a hoot to drive. It was so responsive, so nimble, so light. And we had competition back then. The M3 CSL just came out. And yeah battered the times or shattered the times of the Nürburgring. Yeah. Uh, it had cup tires and it looked cool. It sounded like an animal. I loved the car. And uh, we had to get, we had, we had to be a lot quicker than this, which we were. Yeah. But it was not, it, 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 it was, it was not like baking cakes. It was, it was hard work. It was hard competition out of Munich. So when you get to the 997 project, the brand is now established. GT3 is a brand. And most, I think most critically, Everyone expects there to be a 996, sorry, a 997 GT3. We're waiting for the launch of the car. The 997 Carrera is launched. And we're all, it's not a question of will there be a GT3, it's when will it come? Yeah. It's a critical change. Was that then, a, would that feel more grown up, that project? At that point, you got, we must have more people. The department must be bigger. The expectation of the car is greater. You maybe want, you might have to sell more. Did it feel like you had a more grown up job? Absolutely. I mean, uh, the 996 Mark II and the RS, they were the starting, the igniting uh, spark uh, of, uh, of, this, of this new GT um, hype, I always would say. Oh, the people loved the car. And um, uh, there was no doubt on the 997 that we had to do a GT3 version. And yes, the 997 body was a bit more grown up. Um, it, one of the nicest 911, if you ask me, we ever did because it had these hips and it had exactly the right size in my, in, in my opinion. And um, it, it was a fun project to make the 997. We had so much freedom back then. And um, um, just for, for, for to give you an example, the, the Alcantara interior, it comes because I always had Lancia Delta Integrales when I was young. I, I, adored, the, I adored this car and, and I had two of those or three and I, and I still love it. And this had this Alcantara uh, interior, which I always loved. And I thought, hey, why not doing something like this? And on the 996 RS, we started with a steering wheel and, and everything you touch and, and the gear lever. And I wanted the Alcantara uh, interior, a complete one. And we did it. We didn't go to the board. We didn't go to the studio. We just did it. And boom, the car was ready. Everybody loved it. I mean, this is the process today. The decision process is so much more complicated. Um, but this, this was just the interior, which is a, a minor point. No, it was um, the car had a great platform. It had a wider track. It was a little bit bigger. We could fit back bigger wheels. And we were continuing of... Uh, 
um, yeah, um, making a lot more changes to this to the over the Carrera to to have the GT3. So the differentiation between the Carrera and the, and the GT3 or 997 went to the next level. Yeah, if you compare it even to the 996 Mark Mark II. Um, so we addressed so many things on the car. We did the engine, we we did the gearbox, and the arrow was uh, bespoke uh, because um, uh, we managed to uh, convince our uh, colleagues from the exclusive department that they couldn't use this arrow kit for any normal Carrera because uh, we needed it for ourselves to make the GT3 its own model and they that sent, can't and the, be copied. And, and they were not so happy about it at but first. But they're not. Um, but um, they, it, it made the, our argumentation made sense. Yeah. What about the center? The center exit exhaust was so important for me. I'm Absolutely. Because when I remember turning up to the launch, in fact, that was the first time I met you. Was the, was the, was the, somewhere in Italy right. for the launch of the 997 GT3? I think Gen One. Yeah. And seeing the two exhausts out the middle and thinking. That looks completely different to a Carrera. Just as a signature, that is a different statement. Yeah, and, and, and it the, stayed forever. The funny thing is, I mean, it, it really is the truth. On the, on the launch of the 996 Mark II, I was sitting with Hartmut Christen and Hans-Georg Breuer, who was uh, head of the powertrain department at Motorsport back then and responsible, therefore, for the GT3 engine. And we discussed about the 997 GT3 uh, launching the 996 Mark II. And um, we always... We always said, ah, we, we need a different exhaust. We need a different exhaust note. We want to make it lighter. We want to make it tighter and, and more race-like. And um, Hans-Georg Breuer took really a napkin, a paper napkin and a pen. And then we make the first uh, the first sketches of this central exhaust uh, uh, with a flapper, with operated flappers and, and headers. And uh, that was where the idea was born. And I remember Hartmann saying, oh, a complete new exhaust. That's so much money, so much tooling. <laughs> And I said, yeah, well, but maybe we should do it. The car would sound differently because back then on a 996, the GT3 mainly lived from his intake noise. Yes. Yeah. And the and, and because the the exhaust was the same then on a standard Carrera, and um, we really had very very hard very good feelings about it. That the GT3 deserves its own characteristical noise, and we wanted to lower the back pressure as well. So it was not only noise. It was we want to make it lighter. We want to make it more powerful. We were always thinking one step ahead and. Uh, yeah, and um, trying to make the car continues improving. When um, so when you're when you're on a project like nine nine seven, you already knew then how different the RS was going to be from the normal car. Whereas the nine nine six, it was just luck. You had to make another, you had to homologate a new part, so you make an RS. Yeah, but the RS and nine nine six RS have to correct you there. They had so there were so many bespoke parts on that. There were, but but yeah. it, 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 when you st when you when you did the first nine nine six, you had no idea there was going to be an RS. No. Whereas no. with the nine nine seven, you knew there was going to be an RS because and actually, was such a huge success. And you had, of course, then you had. You, it, was, it was the first car that had a different power output. It had different gear ratios. Yep. It was a different car, wasn't it? In that in that respect, it, you you offered the customer something over and above a GT3. I mean, the 997 Gen 1 RS, um, I really have to think back because I, I did like 18 cars now and uh, <laughs> this was my, my third or fourth. I mean, the, the main differentiation on the, on, the, on the first Gen 997 was the white body. Yeah, the white it, it was the first car, first RS that featured the white body of the turbo. Yeah, and um, that was quite a change. The engine was mainly unchanged. Yeah, it was a single mass flywheel maybe, but um, there were and, and some lightweight parts. But the main difference the gearing was different. Though. It had the shorter ratio. Was, didn't... The gearing was the same. No, was it? Uh, 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 okay, I'm gonna have to go uh, back and check that. On the, on the second generation, uh, we made. 20 horsepower more, so yep. we had another different That's intake it. system. I'm and being the, dif the differentiation between GT3 and RS 
um, started to grow as well from yeah. 997 on. But the first 997 was mainly the body, the color, different spoiler, more arrow, yeah. Yeah. but done in a rather conventional way and some lightweight parts. Yeah. So around that time, you're living in the area, you live in Flacht, or you live, were you living in, in, in this part of the world? You're living in Stuttgart. And um, there's another side to you. Now, we've got everyone that hears you talk about cars. You love motorcycles. You love enduro bikes. There's other stuff that you love doing. And he, he, he'll, he, he'll blush here. He's really good on an enduro bike. Like he does proper wheelies and stuff like that. So, do you find that stuff helps you take your brain away from the cars? Or has mo motorcycling has always been in your life, hasn't it? Absolutely. I mean, I was growing up uh, in the 80s and uh, the first uh, milestone in, 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 in a boy's life when he was turning 15 and could ride a moped uh, like a like a small like a small motorcycle. And at 16, you can had you, you could have an 80 cc um, bike that is running 80 kilometers per hour that, that was like light speed. It was warp five <laughs> uh, or warp 10 back then. And so all our lives centered around having a motorcycle. So I was, uh, and we needed it to go to school or to wherever. So it was just normal in, in, in my, in my youth, um, that the normal style, the, the, the motorcycle or the, 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 yeah. So the scooter, whatever they had, uh, was, was, was a main part of your life. And so, and when you turned 18, you needed a, you needed a bigger bike. And, and, and so I was always into biking. Um, I'm not to biking too much today. I've got several KDMs, which I love to use, but it's uh, unfortunately very illegal here in Germany. So what's, was, what's the free, but you've got the electric one, the free ride. You, yeah, you, how, how cool is that? I mean, this is, this is something people comment uh, often. Oh, you have an electric bike, you? Uh, and I say, yeah, well, because it's stealth. Yeah. yeah. Nobody, nobody <laughs> uses me when I'm doing illegal stuff out there, out there in the woods. And, uh, um, I'm running into uh, people collecting mushrooms and, 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 and they don't even notice me. You know? when, when they turn their back on me, I'm just like 10 meters away. I turn around and off, I'm, off I am without any people yelling at me. Yeah, I mean, this electric bike is, is really very, very cool and you don't have to warm it up. And I have to confess, I have a 300 uh, two-stroke KDM as well, which I love a lot more. Uh, but it makes a racket, and it's um, it's it's it. You always have this bad conscience when you drive around with that thing illegally. So I only with, use it on track. Do you agree with me that the um, the the electric enduro bike is the most impressive deployment of electricity in a vehicle that you've come across? It's it's make, it feels the most natural use of it. it. Feels like it was meant for it, as it were, which is different to a car. The car always feels like it's compromised when it's electric, but the electric enduro bike is an amazing thing, isn't it? It's amazing, and um, I mean, you need a you you need a power pack that uh, to, supports to it. supports at least two hours of enduro driving, which mine does easily. Um, after that, you're done anyway, and you're exhausted. So yeah, uh, it doesn't matter. And I already use use that thing for a short hop when I'm coming home on a on a on a after a hard day's work, and I see it standing in the garage. I just have all my clothes in the garage, and so I sneak out. Nobody heard me coming, so nobody's waiting for me, and then. Just take it for a spin for an hour. And, then what, um, and also, I can remember being much. in America filming the Outer Freedom and you sending me a note going, oh, you're driving, oh, you're riding one of these. Oh, yeah. That's such a shame that company didn't work because that product was incredible. That really was special. I visited the company. It was uh, up in uh, San Francisco when I was uh, in Monterey um, during Rensport or something like that because I was so interested in buying one. And I met the owner and, 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 and he showed me their, their, their production line and, um, and we had like two, a two-hour ride on that thing out in the desert. It was so cool. I would have bought it straight on if they would be have been available here in Germany. And I'm really sad uh, that I didn't make it. But on the other hand, I mean, this is, this is a product for really not everybody. And there was just 
the market was too 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 small for yeah. for, for a sophisticated enduro bike like that but it's a pity I, I would still love to have one to be honest there's an enduro biking theme with all of you Porsche motorsport people isn't there because quietly Kusmal likes riding an enduro bike as we well all right you you all go off and ride don't yeah, you we all right yeah definitely it's not the only thing I do I, I'm, I'm I'm like to I like to drive my my uh my, my classic car from time to time as well I'm I love my boat. I love to be out in the water to get away from it all. Big engine, but uh, everything around me is controllable. So I like to be with my family, have a little bit of a quality time. And um, but I need a rumble of a big V8 behind me. And this is this is really what uh, what is what is catalyzing my 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 my. Uh, uh, what is um yeah what is downwinding me best uh, being being and out then, in the water. And another secret which he he won't thank me for. He's really good at making and flying radio-controlled helicopters. He showed he showed me one of these things years ago. It's so complicated. If I tried to fly, I'd just fly it straight into a house. <laughs> is it the challenge of, of the coordination that you like, or is it building the things? I I, th I think it's not building the things too much. I like complicated things where I have to get my head around, which uh, at first seemed to be so complicated and 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 so so hard to learn, and and this is challenging me. And um, and I like aviation. I'm. I think in my next life I'd be a pilot, definitely, because uh, this is one of my one of my my dreams. And um, and yeah. And and uh, with this heli with this helicopters, uh, I started that because uh, my son Philip uh, was into that, and uh, it was something for father and boy to do. And um, yeah, I don't. I didn't do it too much in the last couple of years. So and um, I'd rather put on my VR goggles and fly. <laughs> Fly a um, uh, Spitfire or a Mustang uh, above, uh, above the channel, um, the, which is uh, which is really super addictive. Uh, super addictive. If you've got the right equipment, a super super fast computer with a super big graphic card, the best goggles. I mean, what technology offers us today is mind-boggling. Definitely. So um, I'm, I'm I feel more like flying when I'm when I'm sitting in my in my in my chair in front of my PC than when I'm doing this helicopter thing. Amazing. I think um, I, I come back to the bike thing. It's quite important to me when I found out that you all liked uh, going off on enduro bikes because there is a bit of a two wheels versus four wheels um, argument that goes on around the world. Yeah. And everyone that I know that makes I think the best cars, the most the most emotional cars. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Understands what motorcycles mean and what a motorcycle makes you feel. I think it's quite important. And, and, the, and the switch side is some of the cars that I've not found quite as impressive. 
if you speak to some of those teams, they don't seem to get motorcycles. It's, re- it's a strange thing to observe. Right. But I think it's really important if you can't, because I can remember talking to Kusman, him saying, yeah, no, we go off, we go off and ride bikes in the spare time. That's what we do. Yeah. And actually, and, and I love the idea of him, him talking about the, he got some special Michelin sticky tires for his old VFR or something. And was he was w- winding up all the sports bike riders because he had more grip. It was a dominator. <laughs> was it a dominator? It's a Honda dominator out of the, I think it's mid eighties bike or something like that. He but still I, loves but, it. Still but I like it. the fact that the, the, you can't make a car. You can't make a series of cars as emotional as the GT3 unless you allow yourself to be influenced by the environment around you. And, you that, need, and that means everything. You need inspiration. And uh, I get all the inform- inspiration from mostly from things that have a motor. And I love things with a motor. And it's good when the motor is too big for the thing, you know, because then it, <laughs> then it never gets boring. So I, w- I always tend to like overpowered stuff. Uh, if, it's, if, it, if it's a boat, a plane, a bike, yeah. Uh, something that you have to control as a human being, something that can 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 bite at you if you do it wrong. This is the challenge uh, to 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 master the end, to master the machine, and this is the the rewarding thing if you if you make it. Um, it, it, it 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 shouldn't be boring. It should be it should be challenging, and it, and, and 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 challenge that you concur makes is 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 equals fun for me. How, and how being out in the nature on a bike as well. I'm I'm a nature guy and. But I always want some technology with me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm a nature guy, but I always want some, that's a quotation, but I wasn't telling you with me. How, do you, how did you handle the fact that your, because your vehicles were so, so well loved by the media and by the consumers, um, you became, in, you know, a kind of personality within Porsche. Your name was associated with the products. You got drawn into the conversation. Then there's the awful forum thing and all, all that other stuff how did you were you surprised that that happened or did it did it did it was it not a surprise I, I know we've spoken about it at length it's a it's a difficult place to have your work discussed in an open forum because you want to go in there and intervene but of course we know you can't intervene what did that make you think i don't want to do this anymore or did you manage to just park it to one side i mean i i i didn't i didn't think that um I would be recognized at airports and, and people coming over to me and wanting a selfie or getting getting so many mails of thank you for the car and everything. So people seem to, 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 to like what I'm doing, at least the people that are buying that are into Porsche. And um I'm 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 not a I'm 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 not a I'm not a guy that likes to be in the center of attention, to be honest. Yeah? So um, that came with the job and uh, it's part of the job. And um, I uh, accept it. And, and, and mostly the reactions uh, of people uh, to me and my product are so positive that it's rewarding. Okay, yes. I have that there's critics as well. And, and if, if I'm reading forums, I, I really, wow, I run my, my, my fingers to my hands. I get, wow, I want to, I want to dig into the, keyboard and tell, you just can't. tell, tell this you just guy how can't. it is and it, it, it's really hard so i stopped yeah. i really stopped going into forums because it sometimes aggravates me too much and um, I, I cannot let myself go and discuss stuff there uh, that's why i always uh, proposed or suggested to make uh, within porsche maybe a, a, a own forum that is hosted by us uh, that we can like address stuff and or or or, or, or comment to rumors that are completely wrong and uh, but it's a complicated process, but we're still working on that because the people out there deserve uh, they deserve um, to know what's going on. And um, 
they deserve to be corrected yeah? when there's some rumors going around that, 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 that is bad for the product, bad for the customer, bad for me or whoever. Um, we, we, we like the truth. We're very transparent. We're very honest always. And uh, I think that's the way to do it. And um, the popularity of my person, if you can call it popularity, if you look at Insta or something like that, is flattering. I, I, I like it in a way. Um, some people look at me, oh, wow, this is Pointinger, and he, he has... Uh, he has a little bit of leverage out there, but I don't. I don't care too much. I'm a private person, so I don't. I don't. I don't feast on that. Mm. But sometimes uh, it it, get, it gives you the opportunities to meet interesting people. This is what I what I like most about that. That that I can that I'm coming in contact with people that I really have interesting stories behind them. If this car stories or life related somehow, and 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 that's what I really appreciate uh, to be in this position. Uh, to get to know people, cultures, and um, yeah, make friends. The number of people who who are really, really big names, either in racing or in outside of the world of cars, that have said to me, "I can't get a GT3. I can't get on the list. Can you speak to Preuninger and see if he'll get me one?" And I, I'm not talking minor celebrities. I'm talking really, really big names. You forget that everyone wants a GT3, and not everyone can get one. It's incredible. This might be right, yeah. I mean, we are we are we're really trying to uh, to um, yeah to raise production numbers with every model that we pull out, and we do. But it's um, under proportional to the need from the markets, which is uh, so we always have the same situation on a different level. Then, um, even with the 911R, we thought, okay, with almost thousand cars, we don't run into the same problem as with the RS4 liter, where we only had 600. And um, but we were so wrong, you know. And even with a speedster with two thousand, uh, so we always double. It was still not enough. And um, people and and this is I'm feeling very sorry for this. Um, are disappointed then. And um, uh, and but I have to say the the, the it, it, it's not true that uh, Mr. Preuninger can uh, call Mr. Preuninger and then you get a treaty three because this is really <laughs> something our markets do and uh, the yeah. markets are are uh, separate entities uh, that are connected to us, but they have the power of decision uh, through their dealerships whom to give a car. We can only ask uh, um, maybe to uh, uh, to consider, uh, to give a customer that is very close to us uh, the chance to drive the, 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 to drive a car, uh, GT3 or whatever. Um, so, so we don't have the power yeah, to influence all that. This is uh, just a fairy tale. What, um, how, how did you deal with the emergence of the popularity of the normally aspirated cars, but also the fact that you had a, a, a heritage in, in turbocharged cars as well. Because when you used to speak about the normally aspirated, the atmospherical cars, as you would always say, it was, it was about passion, it was about intake noise. But also in the 997 era, you had this slightly strange car, the 997 GT2, which actually looking back, I'm, I'm more and more fond of that car. I think it's a spectacular car. And the crazy, looking back, GT2 RS, 600 horsepower manual gearbox 911 i mean it was an insane motor vehicle but they're almost these cars are almost forgotten in your history of cars how do you feel about them well um i i never i never forgot those forget those i mean the the, the 997 gt2 rs um was a project that was that was really a skunk work project so we we, we wanted to make an rs version of a gt2 because i think the 997 gt2 was a little bit tame, a little bit tame. I didn't do the project, by the way. That was uh, was it not a colleague of mine, no, Alan Lewin, an, an uh, Englishman. Uh, he's retired by now, and um, he did a 997 GT2, 
um, before I retired. And then I, and I took over and said, okay, let's make a GT2RS out of it. And um, it was called the beast internally yeah? <laughs> because we, 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 we took out weight. We, we, it's, it's true. We took out weight. It was a silver car. We took out weight. We made the first carbon fiber uh, fenders and they looked ugly. They had joints like you could put your hand in it, but uh, it, the car was lighter, lighter, lighter still. It was around 1,340 kilo or even less um, on that test mule and we had like 580 horsepower on that thing. It was so ridiculously fast <laughs> back then. It wouldn't feel as fast today, but that, that was just the pinnacle of it all. It was it was almost a suicide machine, I called it. Yeah? It, was the, <laughs> it was the beast. Uh, we, we, we referred it to the beast. Everybody wanted, wanted to drive it. And um, so this project developed. It was the, it was, uh, we were testing, I think, the GT3 second gen um, in Portugal, in Estoril, we, we were sitting at a, in, in, a, in an Italian place with all the mechanics, and we then we this idea came up with Carsten Shepstad back then, who oversaw oversaw the um, the um, driving dynamic side and some engineers and some uh, mechanics. It was really something the team invented, and uh, we said, okay, come, let's make a prototype, and that's how the beast came along. And then we proposed the beast to the board and said, okay, let's let's do it right, make an RS out of that, and um, maybe do it as a special run, as a limited edition. And so the GT2RS was born. Did you, were they easy to sell as well? Did they all sell straight away? Absolutely, buff. Yeah. Not quite as fast as a GT3 RS 4 liter. Yeah. We had, I think, 500, it was 500 GT2 RSs. And they sold, definitely. It was a hugely expensive car um, back in the days, but they sold. But there wasn't that big of an overhang of need and uh, and want. So we, it, it was relatively correctly um, correctly uh, numbered. So say. around that time is when I was spending a bit of time with you and you had this idea with the GOs. GOs, by the way, is, is German for press office. Hence the reason why, if you didn't know, when you see a, a press car, it has S number plate GO. That, that means it's from the press department. I'm saying that because I'm not always surprised at the number of people that don't know that. Um, the idea of racing a 997 GT3 Gen 2 3.8 at the Nürburgring 24 hours. We've never really discussed that in public. So Andreas uh, provided a, a, a test car and um, it was prepared to go racing. We did two VLN races to just to test the car and then went straight into a 24-hour race. The car drove there to the circuit, came 13th overall and drove back again. It still feels like we didn't actually do it because I can't quite believe how straightforward it was. Nothing went wrong. Everything we did, the car didn't miss a beat. The car now sits in the museum. What? Why did you do that? Because looking back, if it had gone wrong, it would have been a shit fight. <laughs> Sometimes it's so much fun to carry risk. It's, um, now we, we we were so happy about how the car performed. We thought, hey, this car is so quick, it would even be competitive in a professional motor race like the 24 Hours. And this car had a huge advantage. It can go there on the Autobahn, you know, put on a set of slick tires and, and do the race. That was the idea that we had back then with the press people said, maybe we can can, can do a, some, some, some great media value out of this because the car can do it and the car should be competitive. And um, Wolfgang Dürheimer, who was the, was the CEO of, uh, or the, the board member of um, um, engineering back then, um, yeah, we could ignite him to that idea and he... He gave us the funds to do it, to do this uh, several VLN races uh, up front. And 
prepare the car for the race. Sure, we had to use uh, we, we had to use different tires. We had to use different brake pads. We even used a little bit uh, tighter, tighter, stiffer springs. But that was mainly was everything. that really the only difference to that, that car? That was the only difference, and the, the car was not specially prepared because we didn't have so much funds. It was a pre-series car. I had standing in the garage the white one. Nobody wanted it, and I said, "Okay, let's let's take that one because then we don't have to spend money." It was a pre-series engine, and there was it, it had almost zero kilometers, so it was uh, well qualified for the job. And um, the modifications we uh, we did to the car were mainly to to meet the regulations of the of the VLN race. And I have to say, we were very lucky. We had a great car, but we had a great team of drivers. I mean, you were in the car, and um, it was uh, Patrick Simon. It was uh, Roland Ash. Roland Ash, the former DKM. He, he was a character. He yeah. was a character. Yeah. And uh, who was the fourth? Uh, Horst. Horst, yeah. Horst Samayash, yeah. Uh, I remember. Right. I, rem- I remember having a. There was a technical meeting, and I used to have to sit in these technical meetings. And I, my German is okay, but it's not good enough when it comes to spring rates and other stuff like that. And at the end of the meeting, Roland Ash had been talking, and at the end, I sat down looking fairly bewildered. And one of the engineers or the chiefs came over and said, you okay? I went, I could understand what everyone was saying. But I said, when Roland talks, I just cannot understand the word. He's and, and, Swabian. Yeah, and this, and this German, this guy said, don't worry, neither can we. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, uh. Oh, I've never heard that Schwabish dialect. But he's such a cool guy. I can, he I, was I mega. When he, when he was in the morning... Um, so it was maybe in the 18th hour or 17th hour, just after 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 it was 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 uh, broke daylight. He 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 was on the on the on the radio and he was speeding uh, down Döttinger Strait and he was singing. He said, "Hey Andy, this is so good. What means this is this is so great to be here. Thank and he and he thanked me for 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 being in the race. And and it was such a strange moment. The sun was going up and he was singing in the car." Overtaking some cup cars because we were faster on the straight line. Yeah, that was the bit. That was the bit we didn't talk about at the time. It's a shame that it was just before the video era because it would have been such an amazing project to video. It was a great shame. Yeah, we didn't do. We should have done a lot more marketing because um, half the world, uh, only some people know that. Uh, yeah. In the same race was the first hybrid uh, GT3 Cup. Yeah. So everybody was concentrating on that car because uh, in the f- crucial stage of the race, I think it was leading. Then it broke. Over and, then, and then it broke because of a valve uh, spring or something like that. Something stupid. And um, yeah. But I always remember being in the, I think it was a VLN race when we were, we were, we were testing during the VLN race. And I remember someone coming on the radio and saying, "Can you back off yeah. on the straight? Because the because the GT3 RS is so fast in a straight line, we're getting complaints because it's much faster than the Cup cars. They're going to give us a speed restriction." I, I I was in the paddocks and Olaf Mantai stormed over over to our booth and said, oh, "Make make make this make make this street car slower because uh, if if he overtakes the, uh, the 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 Cup car, we have to do another lap and we don't have enough gas." Yeah, and that car was leading and he he, he was fuming. Yeah, and um, so we had to back off a little, but. Uh, it was. It, was it a worked special, out finally. It was a special project, and I think it just helped build this legend yeah. that actually these are cars that have all the engineering of a race car, but they're usable on the road. So you've gone through 3.8 RS. Then there's this incredible vehicle called the 4-litre RS, which I understand why people think they're so special. I was lucky enough to, to own one. Um Thank you. Um, and I, mm-hmm. but I... Shouldn't have sold it. I know I shouldn't have. Well, I, there's lots of things I shouldn't have sold, Andres, including houses. I had a 993 GT2, man. I shouldn't have sold that. That'd be worth a million pounds oh, now. Um, but 
But there's something about that car that if I asked people that study your career closely, they'll say, what was his high point? Mm. They will say that car is your high point. I don't necessarily agree. I think it was a spectacular car. But why do people, is it because it's the last of of the Metzger engine cars? Is there so much emotion bound up in that? Why do people go so crazy for the 4.0 RS? That's a good question. That's a good question. It, no doubt it is a very special car. I think it looks very special because it looks completely different than what everybody expected. I wanted to have it white, white wheels. It's totally against the stream. But if you want to come end up at the source, you have to swim against the stream. Yeah. And um, it is, uh, I loved it a lot. I loved the project. And uh, to have this four liter last edition Metzger um, that we used in the race car as well, because the, the, the R engine had four liters and I kept nagging Hans-Georg Breuer, the uh, boss of Powertrain, hey, can't we use this engine as a street engine? Said, oh, no, it doesn't burn as good. The emission side, mm, I don't know. And I said, oh, come on, let's try it. Let's try it. We, we have to make something. Uh, that would be a great swan song for the 997. And uh, we were already into that mode of knowing that special projects uh, will be, yeah, will, 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 will add up to our heritage. And um and, and and are receptive quite well to the from from the that's interesting base. so at that point you were at that point you were aware of the fact that everything you touched turned to gold really not quite i i, I didn't want to make a sellout of a 997 i really i really was was very very um uh, interested in in having this four liter engine on in a road car uh, because there was so much potential we built up a, a prototype uh, engine and put it in my uh, one of my cars, which was a normal, uh, sh small or uh, small-bodied uh, GT3 997, and it was such a hoot to drive. That thing had so much torque, and it was so responsive. Is this the car that and, you and once and I wanted to give the customer in. that engine? Out yeah. yeah. Is this the blue car with the short yep. gearing? Yeah. Does that still exist? Yeah. You let me drive that very briefly once. Now, I, that is I'm a car. I drive it myself. I mean, every I every person that thinks they know. I've owned every GT3 RS. There's some stuff they've got in their garage, as you can imagine, that's a bit special. Mm. And one of them is it's an Aqua Blue GT3 narrow body 997 Gen 2, and its engine and gearbox are not normal, are they? Uh, it's the RS, the RS 4 liter engine, yeah, the, first, <laughs> the first of its kind. Yeah. And um, that, but that car was insanely fast on the autobahn because uh, its coefficient narrow, drag, narrow body. And uh, it has this, this 500 horsepower engine, and uh, it is—it uh, was just ripping. It was like 330 or something like that. What would that be worth on the open market if you put that to an auction? That particular car, this would be a million <sighs> euros. I mean, there's, it? there's there's so many people out there with unlimited funds, so it it it'll, it, it it would sell, but I don't think we we, we could part with it. So uh, some some stuff has to stay in our own vault. But well, we've seen some pictures of that vault. So we then move from. From the four liter, the end of the Metzger, and suddenly you're in a very difficult position, aren't you? Because you, for the first time probably ever, you have to try and sell, reinvent, and sell the new concept of a GT3. So you've got you no longer have a Metzger engine. You've got to start. You've got to have a new sort of motorsport engine. You make the decision to go with no manual gearbox, and then you have to sell that thing to people like me and to the public. And strangely. It's much harder to sell it to idiots like me, the media, because we're the ones going, why hasn't it got a manual? But you must know deep down that everyone you make, you're still going to sell because that's what's happened with GT3. But that 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 period of time was fascinating for me. I'd sit in so many interviews with you and go, so is there going to be a manual? And you'd go, no, <laughs> don't ask me the same fucking question again. <laughs> yeah, that's the shut up and drive era. Yeah. yeah. 
and that uh, that 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 uh, phrase came from my heart because yeah. I, I couldn't hear it anymore. Because uh, the, 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 the the funny thing was when we uh, introduced the 997 GT3, like a little throwback to the 997 era. Everybody was complaining. Why doesn't it have flappy pedals? Yeah. Why 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 is it manual still? Ferrari has it, and everybody has it now. Well, now the GT3 should have that. And they were like a couple of years before they were they were, were punishing us. Uh, for not having a PDK or a flappy pedal gearbox, how they call it, uh, in a GT3. And um, a couple of years later, everybody's complaining that the manual's gone. So kind of strange uh, how things develop. No, but um, 991 GT3 first gen was, was, was a challenging project because always when there's a new platform, like now in the 992 as well, uh, there's a lot more to do for the engineering team. You need longer times. You have to. You 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 you're not basing um, on a, on a first generation and to be able to uh, yeah uh, ever make a make a good evolution for the second generation, which is worth changing cars for. This is always important because yeah. uh, people uh, people people expect something some 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 progress, some step ahead. Uh, otherwise, they wouldn't step into the new car, so it wouldn't sell. But the 991 was always when even even when we did the RS4 leader, there was this feeling in me: so, oh, look at this 991 platform. And my electric guys came over. Hey, if you looked at 991, there's I don't know 55 uh, black boxes in it. Now nowadays we have like seven. Yeah. And uh, this is going to be a super hard project for us. Yeah? And we really were afraid of this new platform because there were so many changes going alongside with that that we had to yeah that would that would take over uh, because we couldn't we couldn't uh, we have to rely on the on, on the stuff uh, that comes from a standard development and. Um, it was a huge project because uh, it was a new platform for the car and we needed a new engine. And you shouldn't do that together. Yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. should, you should alternate that. And, uh, and the engine was, as a matter of fact, everybody knows says the, 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 the big, uh, uh, not the big problem, but it was the big challenge. It was a hugely, hugely capable engine. We've seen it in the second generation now and even the 3.8 liter. Um, to be to be able to be to be frank, I mean, we had, we said it had 475 horsepower, but it had a lot more. They were all 490-ish, and actually, they were on par with the four-liter RS engine yeah, from the power output. But the torque was better, and yeah. it and it revved to 9,000. I mean, that was the thing about that engine, that that, and, and, and it and kept it's... revving from eight to nine. Yeah. When yeah. I first drove it, yeah. I couldn't believe this was a street engine because yeah. the way it pulled yeah. over it the was last super thousand. emotional. We were so happy with that thing, but uh, we had this. This uh, yeah, this problem that later led to the to the to the sad problems with uh, three cars that burned uh, that uh, the engine could uh, could uh, yeah erupt I would say yeah, and uh, the bearings uh, were not uh, strong enough in in some parts of the engine on some engines so we had to correct that which we did and um, but the engine itself was a masterpiece. Do you that think definitely... that maybe in the future these cars could become quite valuable because that engine is. I mean, I know you re-engineered the engine with four liters, but the performance of the engine is different between eight and nine, or it's, it's peak power eight and a half, isn't it? It's, it's not the performance; it's the the sound it makes. The emotion. It's, this metallic uh, sound. This is not which is which is not moving parts actually. It's, it's really the air, uh, the, the the combustion process that you hear, and it it's, it sounds very metallic. I think they think could become it. very sought after cars because there's not uh, that many of them. No, and uh, if you've got a good example of that thing, they're 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 quick as hell. Um, we we we, have, we ourselves uh, have one in our garage that is six thousand kilometers or something like that. It, it's brand new. I love to drive it. It's a great car. 
But it was not only the engine that was new. I mean, the whole chassis, uh, for, for the first time, a PDK gearbox, rear axle steer. We threw so much technology to the car. You had every single complication under yeah, the sun. It was so complicated. And uh, Did the team grow? Did you need to have a much bigger team around you to get through all this stuff? Or did you try and least, do it? At least double as many people. Was yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it, it got a lot more complicated on the electrical side as well. And um, so we, we really had to reform and reorganize for the 981. Definitely, it was, yeah. a, was, a, was, was, was a huge undertaking. So the first event where this thing was revealed, and I have spoken about this publicly, but not in this context, and we won't go into it for too long, was um, Andreas very kindly invited about three or four of us to go and meet him in Spain. Oh, that story. Oh, yeah, okay, we'll get through it quite quickly. Whoa. But let's just say that, we, that it was supposed to be, I think, the best press event that I'd ever go on. It was dreamy, quiet roads in northern Spain. It was just three or four people um, and Andreas and the new and three or four new 991 GT3s and an, and an old 997 3.8 RS for us. Or was it a normal? She was a normal GT3, wasn't it? Was it a 997 uh, Gen 2? Gen 2. Yeah. It's a red one, wasn't it? Red and, one, yeah. and, and we, and we, we could it. compare... And it was amazing getting into the new car and then getting into the old car and just feeling how lazy the front of the old car was. You couldn't make it turn, all the, the traditional problems. And the day, what it ended up with, police helicopters, me being frisked and searched for SIM cards by a person with a machine gun. Several um, machine guns. It was, it was proper scary. The Spanish, basically the Spanish police didn't appreciate the fact there were lots of Porsches being driven. We weren't going that fast, but but they were being driven at speed. And they made it very clear they wanted us to go. But as events go, that was one to remember. That Absolutely. really was one to remember. I just I remember hiding in a in a sort of Pyrenees ski resort with you. Yeah. We were trying to hide these two cars. It was a bit like the Italian job. And someone funny going, the police are here. They know you're around there somewhere. They won't let us go until you come back. And, you're, you're, and you were going, shit, we've got to go. We've got to go. I'm going, no, we're not. We can just stay here. And you went, how fucking long can we stay here? We can't stay here forever. And I was the only one being able to speak Spanish. So I really, I thought I could uh, contribute something to the situation. And when, when we came around the corner and all these policemen with the machine guns hanging around, I mean, in the middle of nowhere. I mean, this is, uh, it's close to Andorra. And there's uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of, um, um, frontier police or whatever you might call it and uh, so they were pretty quick uh, uh, reacting to our yeah do you go do you go back to Spain very often to drive like that since then never <laughs> <laughs> so that made us really I mean we 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 we, uh, we lost our favorite proving grounds there because it was uh, it, it was in, infested with police since then and and um, yeah we compromised the whole area so we had to look for a new, new roads for new roads and which we found uh, yeah. and, 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 and we are, I'm really happy now that we searched because we found something better where we are now I won't, don't want to give away where it is yeah don't don't, don't take <laughs> but me there but either it's, but, but it's better and um, it's in a country where people love cars and uh, that helps yeah so we've gone through um, this period where you've had to sort the engines out on the car but the, the crazy thing is that I don't think any other sporting sub-brand of a car maker could have survived the way that gt3 did because actually it didn't in it didn't actually diminish the the way people wanted the cars they still wanted the cars more people wanted the cars so you've got through that episode you've re-engineered the engine in a way that is so rigorous i can remember you saying i remember saying to you could this happen again you went no this couldn't happen again this this is what we have done with this engine now it is bulletproof and it hasn't. The thing is bulletproof, isn't it? And then the RS comes out, 
and everyone just goes crazy and almost forgets there's ever been a problem. Yep. So for you, that must have been personally a great moment because then the monkey's off your back, isn't it? You're back on thinking about the future. It was hard times for me as a employee, as a manager, as a as a, as the as, as the people, the anchor man of the GT series. So I was to blame yeah, for everybody, and um, yeah, maybe it was that way. I signed it off, yeah, but nothing happened. Nothing ever happened in development like that. And um, but um, the company stood together very well. Wolfgang Hatz was our boss back then in Weissach, uh, a guy I adore still. He's such a great guy, and he always was protecting us. We were, we were, we were one team. And um, that was, was, was very, very good to have help from all sides. And uh, finally, I think we addressed the, the, the issue right with the customer yeah? because we, we went to the customer and said, okay, we, we made a mistake here. We'll, we'll help you get new engines. And, and everybody, every, everybody was really appreciating our, our, our authenticity and our, our openness uh, to talk about that and, um, and to, to react that, that quick and um, yeah, satisfying for the, for the customer. And so... Um, this car will hold its value as all the others because if something happens to the engine, um, we, we, we made this, uh, this, uh, this promise uh, to take care of it. So the RS comes along. One of the best days of my life is when you managed to get you managed to get us Vaisa for a couple of hours oh, and, you, and you turned up with the, the, all the colors. <laughs> that was a good day out. That car was special because it, it, it looked so outrageous on the street with the big 21 inch rear wheel and the big wings. And I, and I, that setting, that was when the whole, the value proposition of the RS brand and GT3 just went crazy because people were buying them so sure they were going to go up in value that maybe that was, maybe that was the beginning of the good times and the bad times because people were buying them for the wrong reasons. I think, uh, the GT3 RS 991 was maybe one of the GT3s with the most want-one factor. That's yep. right. Uh, especially the, the purple one. I mean, you were the first journalist that was allowed to drive that car on the Porsche proving ground uh, using a drone for filming. That were, that, Do you remember that? That, that, that was, a, that, that was something completely new. To yeah. get the clearance for yeah, the drone, the paperwork. Wolf Wolfgang Hans liked you. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, that helped. And it was great footage. I still, I still look at it from time to time. The sad thing is, all the purple cars were crashed, so we don't have one single purple car left. You know? Yeah, really. Yeah, the the press purple car was uh, was damaged or crashed in in, in the Nurburgring. Um, Mister Purple, that one, almost at the same spot a couple of days later. So there was uh, some bad karma around this color. Um, but Would you ever make another beautiful. purple car? Huh? Would yeah, you ever I mean, make another purple car? Not for us. Not for us. There might be some customer cars out there. It was a very rare color, I think. And I think uh, from the um, from the from the used the, the price of, a, of the aftermarket price or the used car prices of the purple car is still higher than on any other color. Is it? I think so. Yeah, because <laughs> it's rare. And it, it, it was, uh, people shied away from it first and then everybody loved it, but then it was too late and then the car were already, cars were already sold. Um, that was a great car still. I have a, I have a white one, a completely innocent looking white one with silver wheels, uh, Gen 1, and uh, I'm still driving it from time to time. It's very good to drive the old cars. Uh, we were talking about the RS4 leader, that it was a great car. The other day I just got the keys and, 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 and did some laps and, and took it home and uh, it was last summer and this car is still very very good and teaches us something and um, normally you tend to glorify things over the past you have to readjust and, and really drive them from time to time uh, to know where you're at where you're standing at the moment and, and the RS4 liter still is in, in some in, in some uh, 
virtues or in some in, in some uh, issues it's really still benchmark i um so around that time you've been getting some pressure from from probably your customers a little bit of pressure from the media why don't you do a manual gearbox car you ever going to do a manual gearbox car and you and um whoever's around at that time mr hats maybe still around at that time is saying no we don't need one we're fine and then one day we hear rumor there's going to be a manual car it's not going to be called a gt car but it might have no wings and they might call it a 911r and of course people like me just went absolutely apeshit because it's the car i had always wanted how difficult was it to get the board to agree to make that car <sighs> let me think it was uh, quite difficult, yeah. <laughs> um, it was. Uh, we had the idea of making this uh, super um, low-key looking driver's car with all the GT technology in it, and um, we had something similar in our heritage, the 911R, which I always found a very attractive car from the idea, all this lightweight stuff, and 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 I knew exactly there was such a big market for that. But because we lost some customers some driver's car customers because in the earlier times we could address driver's cars and track aficionados the track was with the same car yeah. because you have the manual gearbox take all the weight out you can you got a fast car and you got a driver's car but uh, with the 991 that changed and so we left some people behind uh, not having any offering anymore um, for the people that really wanted the the the, the, the aura of a, of a gt car not especially going to the track at the at the, at the weekends and so the 911r idea came along and i built up a car um based on a on a normal carrera and uh, no nobody knew it I, I did that car and the open version the speedster at the same time and um just for the heck of it because i found out it's a lot easier to impress people with hardware than with powerpoint and um this is definitely came true in that case and um, yeah, we, we, we were playing around with colors and, and, and with parts from the RS, inventing new colors like single mass flywheel and all that. Uh, you, everybody knows the, the tech specs, I think, of the 911R. And so we had the first car that really was, was drivable. It was so much fun. It was so good. And um, yeah, we dared to present it to the board and rather unprepared. Yeah? So it, it, it was like, uh, like a shooting star coming along. So nobody saw it coming. And that was the mistake. Uh, normally, you have to prepare and talk, get people uh, uh, the chance to understand the idea. And um, all of a sudden, there was some uh, call coming from the from the board member meeting, and, and that day, oh, bring up the 911R. Hartmut Christen called me, and um, we have some time left, and uh, maybe it was a good chance to just uh, show it to them. And I went like, maybe not the best <laughs> idea, but okay, boss is calling, so let's do it. And and it and it ran in the wrong direction because nobody was prepared for the car. It was it wasn't explained properly because the time we didn't have the time to do it. So there was just this white car with the green stripes and the Porsche lettering, and um, us explaining a little bit what the reason behind that car is. And and um, we we saw some 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 eyebrows going up. And you know when you've lost the room, don't and you? And yeah, yeah. and um, <laughs> they didn't understand the purpose of the car first. Um, but it was maybe the bad presentation. We were not prepared. Don't want to blame anybody. Um, in the couple of weeks after that, when we did the political work around it, um, the, the, the tide changed and everybody said, okay, come on, let's do it. Yeah. But the first approach uh, was, was, uh, was uh, the compl completely uh, 
thing for the coffin. <laughs> what, what of all the cars? So, so t- take into account GT3 Touring and and where we are at now with 992. Of all of the cars that you've made, which do you think was the one that people wanted the most? That people were most willing to use or deploy the power they had to get one, whether it was a member of the Piek family or a journalist from the UK or people that knew you. Which which gave you the sense? That, the, that was the one they were willing to use their ace card to get one. I always felt it was the 911R of all of them. Yeah. Do you think might, it was? You might be right. I would, uh, I would, uh, b- without thinking too much, I would say shooting from the hip that was the 911R. Yeah. Because, I mean, then how many did you make in the end? Uh, 900 and something. 991. 991. Yeah. And, and you could have made, if you. <laughs> I don't know. This is, this is, uh, I couldn't prove that, but. Um, I think we could have sold easily three thousand of those, if not more. Amazing. Um, and then came the new engine, the four liter. The I call it the MF. It really is a great engine. Revs to nine has all, not quite the aggression of the very first nine A one GT three car, but it's not far off between eight and nine. It's still incredible, and it has more power there. It's just the acoustics that are different. So the, and it, and it, and it, the lighter internals mean it, it feels like it has a lightweight flywheel. A lot, when it does a lot less internal resistance. I mean, this second gen engine is, is if you look at it closely, it's a new engine. And that is the basis of, of the GT3 going forward, isn't it? Because the 992 is, is not that dissimilar, is it? I, I, I really have to say, I'm absolutely 100% convinced that this engine is more bulletproof than the Metzger ever was. That's a statement. Yeah. Yeah. And that at that level of power and specific power, I mean, we're doing like 125 horsepower per liter. If we're talking about the Metzger engine, depending on which engine we are talking to, talking about if it's a 996, 997 or, or the later versions, um, they all um, were a lot lower on power and on, on, on internal stress than the new one. I don't want to talk too much about the 992 GT3 because I think the car is still new. It's been incredibly well received. It's just built, it's built on the legacy again. Everyone wants one. The prices, in, certainly in the UK, are through the roof. It proves once again that if you want a car that drives a certain way uh, and you want to do some track driving and some road driving, there still is no substitute. The GT3 is still the car. But if I if I said to you now, so you have five years left, ten years left to work in the automotive industry, and you can make you could make a sports car, maybe a Porsche, um, and you have good resources to make it. What would you, and it's got to be a, an exciting street car that maybe takes performance driving in a different direction. What car would you like to make? Would you like to make a smaller, lighter car? Would you want to make a street car? I have this dream of a 850 kilogram carbon fiber bodied. Is that possible? What would you do? I mean, it's, um, if you, if it totally unhinged uh, and do everything from scratch and you know, don't have to live with a platform, I think, um, a smaller Carrera GT car, uh, like a 1200 kilo max, 450 horsepower car would be the sweet spot for me to have the ultimate fun um, on the road. I didn't want to, uh, didn't, I wouldn't want the too big of a footprint. Yeah, uh, cars tend to get bigger, bigger, and bigger. And um, it, the intimacy of the of a cabin of of a sports car is great. I mean, if you drive the 993, uh, you you almost your, your shoulders are almost touching. And, and then if you if you if you go in the 992, um, uh, you need you need some 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 uh, yeah you need almost binoculars you know, to, <laughs> to, to to see the co-driver. No, I'm I'm, I'm exaggerating, but um, I think 
a sports car in the 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 in, the, in, the, in a way that Porsche started its uh, its its brand. Nine hundred four GTS two, style a two, car. A two seater, open, lightweight, at normally aspirated engine. Not too big, not too big power because big power means big brakes, big big everything means 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 weight. Um, find that exact sweet spot of about 1100 kiloish, something like that. Beautiful shape to look, uh, 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 a feast from every angle, and uh, with a great sound. That would be something I would like to own myself. Yeah. Okay, I, I'm 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 like everyone else listening to this. I'm bought into it. Can you go and make it, please? Can well, you go make um, this car, please? <laughs> I can talk to the persons responsible. And, uh, <laughs> we got a lot of idea, and there's a lot of uh, there, there's some products coming uh, in the in the in the near future uh, that are really keeping us busy. But um, I think it's very important to 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 uh, to keep the core of the brand alive, which is uh, sport cars, pureness, purity, and um, and 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 and, and performance. Uh, without too much gizmos around you that distract you from driving, um, this is uh, this is this is something I think that will will hold value ever and ever because it's for the made for the sake of driving, yeah, and um, a hobby tool. So I'm going to ask you one last question before we wrap up because I've got to get on a plane. Um, this is the last question. Now, one of the reasons why we've always got on reasonably well is I don't I don't ask you about stuff about the future. I'm not I'm not I'm never trying to sell news stories about what the next Porsche is because that's I almost don't want to spoil the surprise. I like to find out the, the way everyone else does. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think all of us that love GT3s and love just performance cars on the road are worried about what the future holds. So mm. you, as the director of GT Cars, you have a, a you have a very very educated view on what you think is possible for the future and what's not. Do you think that in three years' time, Porsche will still be able to sell you a GT branded car? That is high performance and has, um, you know, and is is the type of car we all want to drive. Is it three, four years time? Will we still be doing that. I think um, I'm, I'm, I'm. I like to think positively. Yeah. Um, we we have different uh, different uh, boundary conditions uh, regarding regulations worldwide. So as it stands right now for the US, I would say clearly yes. Yeah. In Europe, uh, what uh, ideas come out of Brussels uh, these days are really um, alarming uh, for the. For the for the for the combustion engine uh, in general, and for the uh, high performance, high revving, um, emotional combustion engine, all the more. Um, I wouldn't say three years, but um, if this new um, emission regulation EU seven um, will uh, be put into effect, which is uh, which means uh, registering a car is possible till mid twenty six something like that. Till that point in time, um, I'm so the next five years almost. Uh, I have high hopes that uh, with technology and with, uh, yeah, with uh, motivation from all sides, uh, we can we can continue the route that we're going at the moment. It's going to be more complicated, but uh, we'll find ways, because there's a lot of lot of uh, good and clever people all around me. It's not only myself; it's a team. I think uh, I'm not too worried about that. Um, after 26, um, we have to see uh, what the regulations really bring, because they're not. It's not 100% sure that they will put into effect by then. Still in a discussion. But it, 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 it will get harder and harder from the noise regulations as well. And noise is a very, very important uh, 
selling point or, or, or characteristic uh, point of, of a GT car. So uh, it's going to be challenging, but um, I have high hopes that uh, for the next three years, that was your question, we'll be fine. And on a positive note, uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. There's some great stuff in there for anyone that loves Porsche GT cars. Andres Preuniger, um, enjoy your weekend. Thank you. I, I need it. <laughs> Collecting Cars, the global online marketplace devoted to cars, bikes and automobilia. A safe, smart and simple auction experience for everyone. List for free, sell for free, hassle free. Follow us on Instagram at Collecting Cars and also CollectingCars.com.